Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of Worth Point LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Worth Point. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Hey everyone, John Chapman. Today on the podcast, we interviewed my friend Dave Lowell, the founder of Up Your Money Game, a financial coaching firm. And uh, it's fun to talk to Dave about the modern approach he takes towards dealing with his clients and guiding them through the areas of personal finances. And in the episode, Dave shares the four money scripts that are pervasive in our subconscious and that impact the way we work. And he also talks about some of the real value in financial planning as he sees it it when he talks with his clients. So be sure to listen to the full episode. And without further ado, let's bring on my friend, Dave Lowell. Right on, hey, man. Dave Lowell. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. I'm excited to talk about a modern approach to financial planning, money coaching, and, uh, and just talking with a new generation of savers and investors of how to get their financial education and improve their financial literacy. So I'm pumped to talk with you today. Before we get into your business right now and some of your core beliefs, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what was money like growing up? Yeah, so I grew up, my family, we lived outside of the country for a couple of years, but mainly I grew up uh, in Utah, just outside of Salt Lake City. A solid middle-class family. My parents were super, uh, they were very frugal, very conservative with money Yeah, and it has served them very well. And it's also, you know, instilled us kids generally with, with some good traits as far as, as, uh, saving and things like that. But did, did they verbalize the frugality or was that just something that you and your siblings witnessed firsthand? You know, there were, I, I think probably more of example than anything. Uh, they really taught us the the value of hard work, you know, mm-hmm. and earning what you get. And then uh, when you're about to go spend that, you just got to make sure that you really know why you're spending it. So you don't, you know, don't squander it. So I guess probably a little bit of both, but their examples were, you know, they, they set good examples for us as far as that goes. That's cool. How did you get interested in having a career path involved with personal finance? <laughs> That's that's a really interesting question because my dad, I, my dad is an accountant and I job shadowed him in ninth grade and I thought it was the most boring thing ever. <laughs> I was totally. like, this is just beating my head against the wall, you know? Um, and then here I am and mm. money is like fun and cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, in college, my major, my aspirations were to live internationally. I wanted to work for the foreign service. They control the embassies around the world. So I speak Spanish. I went to school and studied Arabic in the Middle East. So I was on a totally different track. Totally different track. And the semester, my last semester in college, it just hit me like, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing with money. Like (laughs) I was frugal. I didn't have a ton of debt. You know, I was married at the time, but I also didn't know how to, how to create wealth. Mm. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to put these embassy international relations plans on hold. And I actually just, I had a brother-in-law worked at Fidelity Investments Mm. and I thought, you know what, I'll go get a job and I'll learn everything I need to know 
so that my family can be, you know, set on a good path. And um, so I went and they paid me to get licensed and they paid me to learn everything and help other people. So I was like, man, this is like reverse college. It's like huh. instead of me paying to learn, they're paying me and I'm learning. It was like, it was great. I, that's a great, yeah. I think that the value of like uh, firsthand work and you having that be your education—that's a total tangent that I don't want to dive into. But yeah, oh, yeah. that's cool. So, so your so the first job then was specifically Fidelity Investments. Yeah, yeah. So I worked there. Um, started out just at the ground level, right in customer service. I was at a phone site, so we just take phone calls all day. Hmm. And um, but I. Once I got to know the industry, you know, studied and got in, I knew I wanted to, I loved helping people with their money. Totally. And so I kind of went the advisor route. And so I started moving up in different roles till I could get to be an advisor, you know, have a book of clients that I'd work with. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm sure there's probably a lot of um, a lot of volume or the potential to touch lots of different types of people. So, what was that early experience like? How many people would you talk to over the course of a, a day or a week? And what sort of situations did you see early on? That's it. I was thinking about that because I probably talked to, you know, had real conversations with thirty to fifty people a day. Amazing. And it could be anything from a question like, "Hey." can you look at this stock with me and maybe help me buy it or talk me through like, if this is worth investing in all the way to, I don't know about retirement planning. Like how much should I save? What about debt? What about my house? And, and, you know, into more complex things. So I probably, when I was there, I was there for a couple of years. I probably talked to close to 10,000 people. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's incredible. And, and again, some of them were very surface level things, but it always kept me on my toes. And it always gave the opportunity to learn something. So if I didn't know the answer to that question, I was like, hang on, I'll get back to you. I'd go figure it out. You know, I'd talk to my peers, get back. So it was just, there was a lot of learning, which I loved. Yeah. And in my last year there, I was in one role and I was doing a lot of planning, a lot of investment, um, portfolio work, things like that. And so I just got deeper and deeper experience doing that type of thing. And it just, it was great. Mm, that's cool. So tell us about then how your career career progressed after that Fidelity experience. Yeah. So I, there were things I loved about Fidelity, but I also wanted to have maybe a little bit more of a personal touch just because they're such a large company that everybody kind of has specialized roles. So I knew I wanted one where I could kind of do more for, for my clients. And it, it was interesting because right around that time, um, I had a friend, his dad uh, was an advisor, had a book, his friend helped, uh, his son helped him out, my friend, and they were just switching RIAs and broker dealers, so switching affiliations, and they wanted to grow the firm, and so they brought me on to help with awesome all experience. of that process, but it was much more, you know, smaller book, a lot more de deeper relationships with the clients than I had before, which was super rewarding. Yeah, I love that. Well, and so at you, I imagine you worked there for some period of time. And then you, most recently, you've taken a huge leap of faith and founded your new business called Up Your Money Game. So tell us a little bit about the process of thinking about becoming an entrepreneur and starting your own financial shop. Yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. <clears throat> um, and a lot emotionally, you know, there's, 
there's like the, the rational side of things. And then like the emotional side, we'll dive into that about money. But as I worked with people, I just realized I, I learned a lot on the business side and I've always had a business mind. So I loved learning about all the operations, setting up processes, setting up the client experience, marketing, all of those kind of more business side details. I loved doing those. Hmm. And then the other thing I realized was, though I loved working with the clients we had, we were very much a traditional firm where, you know, we were, we charged a flat fee, flat percentage to manage money. And so from the business standpoint, you have to have clients with more and more money to be more and more profitable, right? Right. And so a client that has $100,000 to invest versus a client that has a million, they might take you know, just about the same amount of effort or time or labor, but you're going to be way more profitable with a million dollar client. So, so seeing that and the incentive to always increase the number of assets, I just felt like people like me who knew nothing about finance before I got into the industry and younger people that really have a huge resource of just time on their side, I couldn't really serve them. And I just, I felt a, a big need to want to serve that demographic, you know, serve people like me. Yeah. So, and I think, I think I'm so glad you brought this up because it's important and, and something I hope to be able to communicate to the, uh, to the audience is explaining how the different generations can interact with different types of financial planners or advisors. And for the younger groups that are saving and investing like millennials out there, um, you know, they still need, and maybe even more so need somebody to really guide them through some of these important decisions in their life early on, buying a house, having kids, changing jobs and things like that. So, you know, there's certainly a huge need from a consumer standpoint and you're just diving in head first to be able to help these people, which I think is so important. So can you it's tell fun. us a little bit about the different, I guess, the different types of financial advisors, if we can categorize it for the audience, how would you categorize the different, the different ways that somebody uh, may be able to experience working with a financial professional? Okay. So I would say there's probably a couple different classes. The first one are, I would call them brokers. So these are ones that uh, essentially sell products as, as the way they get compensated. I mean, you can think about it as, as to how they're compensated, right? Yeah. So, so one group, the brokers, they sell products, whether it's investment products or maybe insurance products like annuities or life insurance, and they get commission from the companies that they sell from, right? Yeah. yeah. So the life insurance companies pay them or the mutual funds pay them. And so typically their, their advice or their help is, you know, generally kind of free to the consumer. And so I see a lot of young people kind of gravitate towards them because there's no cost up front totally, but, but the commissions are coming from somewhere totally. and, so, and they just come out of the, the invested amount. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so that's kind of one set. Another set is moving towards AUM or assets under management, where it's just a flat fee. I'll manage your money every year. You pay me this much. It's deducted from your account. And, um, and that's it. It's pretty clean transaction. The difference, I'd say the major difference between those two are just conflicts of interest, right? Totally. With the first set, there might be two mutual funds that I want to propose to a client and they're both suitable. They don't have to be the perfect fit, but if, as long as they're suitable, it's okay. 
But if one pays a higher commission to me, then I'm going to be incentivized to sell that one. Totally. Right. And I might be incentivized a couple of years later to switch you into a different fund. So I, I generate another commission, right? And that's kind of a, can be a problem in that for them. In the AUM model or the flat fee kind of model, you switch in and out of investments just dictated based on how the client wants it or needs it. Um, and there's no additional cost. It's just a flat fee. So, so I would say there's that. And then the third one, just really quickly, is there's it's kind of growing, I think, especially among our generation, but there's just flat fee for planning help. Yeah. So don't touch my investments necessarily, like maybe give me some guidance, but really help me make the best decision like you were talking about with what do I do with my student loans and how much house can I afford and how do I save for the down payment? And all of those just decisions and timing of decisions that can really have a huge impact in the long run. And that's just typically a flat fee, pay me this much, I'll help you with this advice. So those are kind of the three, I think. I think it's, yeah, it's good framework for people to understand. And it's so important for people to educate themselves to know who they're talking and know what their motivations are and understand how they get paid. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, something called money scripts. And so in a previous conversation, you and I were chatting, we were, we were just going on about, you know, the difference between a, a phrase that you had, uh, the math and the mindset. So share with the listeners about the four different types of money scripts. Great. Yeah, one one thing that I always found fascinating working with clients, and it it really didn't de- it wasn't dependent on how much money they had or how old they were. Everybody everybody kind of had it, and you could have really sound <clears throat> money advice, like you should save ten to twenty percent for retirement, right? Right, sound That's advice, pretty, just straightforward, pretty common, straightforward. But how many people actually do that? Statistically, probably very few, right? Very, very few, right? And uh, you can get into broader, like macro causes of that, like stagnant wage growth and on and on. But really, what it comes down to is people, we kind of know what we should do. We just, we just don't do it most of the time. Yeah. And I would put financial advisors in that category. I've seen a number of financial advisors that don't take their own advice, right? And so, So as I thought about this, I I just started to question like, okay, it's pretty clear, like the math adds up. Why will the client not take this advice still? Like what's holding him up? And so I I like to think of it, like you're saying, the M&M of money, which is the math and the mindset. And I think just like in sports, I don't know if you're a sports fan. I love sports, basketball, especially. I'm a big jazz fan. So shout out to any Utah jazz fans. There you go. But if you see any of these elite athletes perform, and then sometimes you might see them get into a slump, right? Okay. Their shooting percentage is off or they're just not performing at the level you're used to. And everybody starts freaking out. And especially the athlete, a lot of times they get in their own mind. It's like, maybe I've lost it. Like, I can't do it anymore. I've lost it. And obviously they haven't lost the skill. It's, it's all the mental game, right? It's like totally. the confidence. It's the proper perspective and all that. And um, so in sports, they say it's about 90% is mental. And 10% is skill or talent. Amazing. And I think it's the same with money, right? Really? The math is clear, but I feel guilty for doing this, or I feel embarrassed for not doing this, and it just holds you back. And so it's really important. That the numbers have to add up, but you also have to be in the right headspace to make the right decisions. 
So yeah. I think that's so important because um, often I'll, I'll speak with um, existing clients, or maybe even prospective clients. And one of the questions that gets brought up is, can't I do some of this on my own? And I would say 100% yes. But the thing that we're often thinking about is a skill component, or maybe it's the math component or just pure investing. A lot of these things that you, know, you can do with uh, computer automation help. But what can get missed are some of those mindset things. It's I'm feeling a tug of war between my budget and my family's desire to go to Disneyland. Or I'm feeling a tug of war between my coworkers going out tonight and celebrating the end of the quarter and me keeping this for my savings. And yeah. so it's this whole other aspect of mindset that sometimes it's it's ego or it's our blind spots that we can fall prey to. And that's a that can have a dramatic impact on financial success. Yeah, uh, you're. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It, yeah. It's totally true. I mean, you can Google retirement calculator, and it'll tell you how much you should save, right? You can. I mean, you can Google just about anything and figure out any answer to any of those math questions, like you're saying. Right. How much do I pay on debt? How much do I do this or that? And so, yeah, totally, people can learn it all and do it on their own. But, but I think, and this is this is a piece that I think it's growing in in our profession and in our industry but it's still like, it's still really nascent, right? It's, it's very, very new. And uh, talking th people through why they make the decisions they do and just helping them become aware of what emotions or what beliefs might be holding them back, you're right, is a huge deal. And that's a lot harder to do on your own. You kind of, that's why people get therapists, right? Like, yeah, totally. Therapists, the coaches for sports, or accountability yeah. partner, right? So yeah. I think this this falls into that. And there's a there's a, a logical reference in so many other areas of life of having that piece of accountability. So, yeah, definitely. definitely. So you, you you learned and you came across as you were thinking about math and mindsets or the M and M's of finance. You came across the four money scripts, and uh, it hadn't been something that that I was really clear on. So. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came across that and what the research was behind the money scripts? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a, a fellow, his name is, is uh, Dr. Brad Klontz, and he's a financial advisor. So he's a certified financial planner, but he's also a psychologist. Hmm. And he does a lot of research. He and his dad, they do a lot of research around all these questions, kind of the meeting of psychology and finance. So his, his stuff is very, very good. He, he has a YouTube channel, puts out videos. And he's got a number of books. Um, and they really get you thinking about your own mindset, what, what you're doing. So they've identified essentially four categories of money scripts. And what a money script is, is it's a, it's a there's subconscious beliefs yeah. that you have about money. Yeah. And, and subconscious because they just affect the way that you view the world. Like they change your perception of reality when it comes to money. So you're not consciously thinking them. It's just part of what you think is reality. Totally. And, and generally you learn them just growing up, right? What you observed your question before about me and how, how I learned about money growing up, right? It's how it's what we observe from our parents, what they teach us directly. Um, and then society as a whole and other role models those all shape our perception of money. So they have four categories. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea, just break them down. So the first one is money avoidance. And okay. that is kind of the idea that money is bad and rich people are greedy. 
<laughs> or they're or they're dishonest because because no honest person would be able to make that much money. Okay. Okay. And so so you you don't want money. You mm-hmm. don't want to be rich, or at least you say that because you're not a greedy person. Okay. okay. Yeah. Next one is money worship. Um, this one kind of refers to basically money making everything better. Okay. Right. Money will solve my problems. Uh, money will make me happier. If I just had a little bit more money, I'd be better. If I had this much, then this, right? Totally. And um, we all know that doesn't work. In our own heads, it's a different story. Like we can kind of trick ourselves, but when you hear it, you're like, oh, of course not. But <laughs> still believe it. Like I do to some extent as well. And I'm sure it's you easy do. To fall prey to that. Yeah, yeah I do it's, too. It's easy. It's normal. Like it's natural. Third one is money status. And this is where you equate your self-worth with your net worth. Hmm. Um, and so you might see, for example, I see this all the time. I'll see a picture somebody posted right on LinkedIn or Facebook or something, them standing in front of a Lamborghini, <laughs> right? It's the sweet shades or in front of the private jet. Right. Yeah. The private jet shot. Yes. Oh, classic shot. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, if it's theirs or not, like who knows? Probably they rented it or, or it's some, some bus. It's probably not theirs, okay? But we still feel really good mm. taking that picture and posting it. Or, or it could be like enjoying the beach in Hawaii, yeah, right? And you take the shot and you post it like, hey, guys, I'm in Hawaii. Right? <laughs> I want you to know that I'm in Hawaii. I flew I'm all in- this way so I could take this picture to show you. I'm important, okay? <laughs> it's just the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, Anyway, so that so that's a big one that that you can mm. get into, mm. and and basically people are only as important mm. or as successful as the amount of money they can earn. Mm. If you're in less money, you're not as important or not as valuable. If you're in more money, you're more valuable. Yeah. Okay. The fourth the fourth money script is money uh, money vigilance. Okay. And this is actually those first three are predominantly negative money scripts. Yeah. Sure. The money vigilance has some negative components, but it's, it's largely positive. And it's kind of the idea that money should be saved, not spent. Okay. Wanting to know that you have a cushion. So wanting to know there's money in the bank in case something happens, but so, so it's good, right? It's very, it's very responsible, conservative way to look at it, Hmm. but it's also kind of like, we shouldn't talk about money. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You shouldn't, it's not polite to talk about how much money you're taboo. Yeah, more taboo. Yeah. So it's more conservative. So it's got really great attributes. It can also be a drawback sometimes. So Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And for people that haven't checked it out, I have checked out uh, the money scripts and their their YouTube channel. So and I'm sure as you're even hearing this, maybe you can um, self identify if you're brave enough uh, to do that. So money avoidance, money worship money status or money vigilance. And so I love what you bring up, Dave, because simply bringing this to a conscious level, because it probably lives deep down in conscious, and there's no language there in part of our brain. So it's hard to be able to connect the dots sometimes, but simply just knowing it might be just one small way that you can help, um, you know, protect yourself. So get different types of money behavior. So I think that's so important. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. It's, it's really interesting because financial therapy it's kind of, again, it's nascent, but it's growing. There's even certifications for certified financial therapists, that type mm-hmm. of thing. But it is kind of the intersection of, of the psychology and the money. 
And, and what they found in research is generally speaking, the money scripts, they have emotions tied to them, right? Yeah. So guilt or fear or greed or low confidence or whatever. But generally speaking, as you become aware of these money scripts and these invisible beliefs, the emotions aren't too strong that you can't just overcome them just by becoming aware. Uh, in some cases, the emotions are very strong and it takes deeper work. But generally, as soon as you become aware of them, that that's what's driving your decisions, you can kind of think about it and say, actually, that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Like, obviously, that, that's so that's the good news. Like, generally speaking, just become aware of them. And, and then you can, you can kind of override that, that programming, so to speak. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think just being aware of it gives some hope for knowing and putting a name to it. And that way, if you have an accountability partner, maybe just even your spouse, uh, maybe you can help put words to it. And that helps you think a second time and put some, put some guardrails around money decisions. That also makes me think of um, somewhere in maybe one of your, your blogs you've written about um, how FOMO can impact us. And, and consumption today isn't just consuming and maybe that doesn't go to my savings and I, I spend it. So uh, bummer, I spent a little bit more. That actually has implications for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line. So can you tell us a little bit about what, what impact does um, spending have on our our future impact of you know financial independence oh man that's that's a great question it's a loaded question yeah i'll, I'll give an example of some clients i just worked with okay? okay perfect essentially by so we worked it out we, we mapped everything into the future how things were shaping out based on their current situation how much they were currently saving they weren't saving a lot but they're saving a little bit here and there uh, but they had high income, so they felt good about things. Like they felt they were on the right track. Okay. Yeah. And <clears throat> as we looked at what they wanted their future to look like, they don't really like their jobs. Okay. They stay in them because it's good money. Okay. But they don't really enjoy their jobs. Hmm. And so they would like to retire early because of that. Right. So, but one of the problems they have is well, instead of saving more, so that you can have the freedom to leave the job you don't like and maybe get a job you do like or start something on your own, like a side hustle. Instead of saving that money and creating the flexibility for yourself, you're spending it on the now and that's actually keeping you locked into a situation you're not happy with. Hmm, interesting. And so, it, so it's a matter of like th really thinking, okay, what do I want my future to be like and then aligning your present with that. Because if you know you're on track for what will bring you long-term happiness or fulfillment in life, then generally speaking, in the short term, you're going to feel better about things. And so the advice here was, okay, there's a, there's a lot of areas where you can save a lot more. And mm. this really frees up your decision-making, even in, even in five or 10 years, where you can take a job you love and not be worried about, about the money as much, right? Totally. Yeah. 
I think it's good that you're connecting a clear vision of what they hope to want in the future and bringing that to today. And so that, you know, our reward system and our brains can have a clear connection between, you know, what we actually think we want in the future and how, how our actions are going to make an impact on that. Because sometimes without that, that idea of the future, or if we're forgetting about it, it's so easy to live in kind of our status quo but you know it's yep. good for you to bring that to the surface and and ask them about what kind of those future goals are and in this situation you know maybe changing jobs and, and whatnot so that's good well and you know i mean with the clients you work with right when somebody comes and says like i need help with my money generally speaking they're thinking about like what accounts do i put this in or how do i invest right or how much do i pay off on debt like there's a few questions that usually are in people's minds, but, but what we get to do, you and I, and what I think is the most fun is helping people understand what they actually want out of their lives. So true. So some people be like, well, I want to retire early because I want freedom. It's like, okay, well, what, what does freedom look like? And they haven't thought beyond what freedom looks like. It's right. like the concept of freedom. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me think, how would you define freedom? What, what yeah. does that mean? Exactly. So people are like, well, I need, this happens all the time. I need, I need $10 million by age 45 and I'm good. <laughs> right. That's I'll okay. be good. Just I need it in the bank. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? And do you actually need 10 million or could like 2 million work for that? You know? So, so helping people get really clear on what they want and why they want it. Hmm. And, and that, that is a fun discovery process and it helps people kind of get these money scripts that hold you back that make you feel certain ways. Usually becoming clear on what you want, you can kind of override those beliefs and then just do what it takes to get what you want. And that, that's, I mean, that's a blast. And yeah. I wish, I wish more planners, I wish more advisors would spend more time on that process. I think I think a lot of people in many instances get shortchanged there. It can be, it can feel uncomfortable because you're talking about, you know, something that's very personable and maybe, maybe the person on the other side of the desk hasn't clearly thought about it or haven't had the opportunity to think about it. So I think you're right. It probably doesn't get brought up enough and that's a disservice, but forcing somebody to be introspective, if I can use that phrase, forcing somebody. So as a financial planner, uh, asking somebody and walking them through in a methodical way to be introspective, it, it, it kind of forces you to pause from your day to day rhythms and makes you think beyond just yourself. And that can be a hard thing. And it certainly, it was, it won't happen overnight, but if that can percolate, then it seems that, you know, financial peace of mind can come more even from that introspective conversation than it can just <laughs> as we've talked about putting some numbers down on a spreadsheet. Totally. Yeah. yeah I totally agree. It's, it's so, it's so fundamental. It's the hardest work. Like the math part is easy, right? It's very easy. Like, and especially for you and I, right. we I mean, we've seen a lot of things. We've studied a lot. We have a lot of experience. So for us, like we can kind of just put the math together. It's yeah. easy. For somebody that doesn't have the knowledge, right? That's where, that's where they might come to you or I. Somebody that has more experience, help them avoid pitfalls. But generally speaking, the math part is pretty easy. Like, I'll do this and this, and this is the best scenario. But the difficult questions are, why do you want what you want? 
and getting couples like spouses on the same page with what they want. Yes. All of that is really hard. And you're right. It's uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable for clients sometimes because you just, just tell me what to do. And I'll like, tell me how the math works. It's like, no, you need to think about this because ultimately this is where you're going to get the most value. Mm, I think that's so important. And that's a good thing for us to start to wrap up on because there's a lot of value in having that conversation. Uh, Dave, if there's people that want to reach out to you or learn a little bit more about the type of service that you offer, how can they best get in touch with you? Uh, So I'm on Twitter. I usually tweet about pizza. (laughs) Uh, and and sometimes about money, but I'm, my handle is at the Dave Lowell. So, um, and then, and then LinkedIn, uh, I spend a good amount of time on LinkedIn. So I keep up on messages there and, uh, same thing. It's at the Dave Lowell there. So that's awesome. Well, I encourage people to check it out. Dave, is there anything else you feel like we haven't been able to cover any encouragement or tips that people to think about, uh, what else is on your mind today for the listeners out there? Uh, well, first of all, John, I just want to say thank you for having me on. It's been a blast. Mm, totally. And I really hope that your listeners are able to take some good stuff away. I think the last thing I would leave is, is five years ago, just a little over five years ago, I had, I had no knowledge of any of this, mm. like zero. My friend mm. talked to me about an IRA and I was just, I had no idea what he was talking about. And, and I've, I've learned all of this this far. And so if I can learn it, all I'll say is anybody can learn it. So if awesome. you feel overwhelmed, like there's too many decisions, uh, it's too complex, it's not, okay? Awesome. You can do it, you can learn it, and then you can always get help to just hold your hand a little bit along the way, maybe make the process quicker, but you could totally figure it out, so. Awesome. That's so true. And it's good encouragement, especially for an old school financial industry that sometimes enjoyed or preyed off a lack of education. Hearing from you, Dave, that you've been able to kind of conquer that and overcome it. And then just in, in, you know, probably in the grand scheme of a career, five years is so short, but you've been able to learn so much and do so much. I think it's cool. I think one thing that I enjoy hearing about your career path is going from a more traditional finance background into stepping out into something new and really offering a service that a lot of people, and there's a huge part of the uh, consumer base that, that really needs um, some guidance like what you have. So it's awesome that you're doing it. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate the conversation. Hope to Thanks. chat with you again soon. Yeah, hopefully. Take Thanks. care. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.